So three little boys were on the playground playing together, and they uh, started bragging about their fathers. And the first boy said, well, my, my dad's a poet. He scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a poem, and they give him $1,000. And the second boy said, that's nothing. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a song, and they give him $10,000. The third boy said, that's nothing. I got you both beat. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a sermon, and it takes eight people to collect all the money. <laughs> Little stewardship humor. <laughs> Neil Fisk likes to call sermons at this time of year the Sermon on the Amount. <laughs> but that is not what you're going to hear this morning because our text of Scripture comes from the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. It's the first resurrection appearance of Jesus to Mary Magdalene. And it takes place early in the morning. I invite you to listen for God's Word as it comes to us from the Gospel of John. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. And when she'd said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Now, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Then Jesus said to her, Mary... She turned and she said to him in Hebrew, Rabbanai, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I've not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them, that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Oh Lord, as we come this morning, we've come not to hear stories, not to listen to carefully crafted words, but to listen to your word and to hear your voice. So speak to us now, each one. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, this text from the Gospel of John is a text that often we have on Easter morning. It's that first Easter morning at the tomb when Jesus first appears to Mary we're in a sermon series this fall about taking off masks, the ways in which Jesus gets behind our masks and into our lives. 
And I guess in this story, all the masks are off now. In fact, Mary's makeup is running down her face along with her tears. She looks into that cave that morning in the darkness, and she looks at everything she fears. You know, in ministry, there are times that you get, to ask, you get asked to do difficult things. Officiating at funerals and memorial services, are, it's never easy. And when you're facing human tragedy, it's difficult to know what to say. It's especially difficult when you yourself are grieving. Sometimes you may know what you want to say, but it's hard to get it out through the tears and the grief. It was about 10 years ago that my mother-in-law, Lois, died finally from cancer after a, a battle that she put up for several years valiantly. And I was asked to officiate at her memorial service. Our three children sang at that service. My brother-in-law, Lee, gave a stirring and beautiful eulogy for his mother. And the next day, we arrived at the cemetery for the burial. It was February, and it was in Minnesota, and it was cold, but thankfully not snowing. As we climbed out of the car that morning, my wife Lynn broke down and wept, knowing that this was our final act. I led the processional, as ministers often do, and I stood opposite the grave to officiate as we laid my mother-in-law to rest. But on that day, I so wanted not to be a minister. I simply wanted to be a husband. I was both. But I wanted simply to comfort, to be with my wife on the other side of what felt like a chasm that day. I knew that my mother-in-law and my wife were the best of friends. You see, it's difficult sometimes to say, in, in the face of human tragedy, anything at all that's meaningful. Difficult to talk when your heart's breaking. And when you look into the darkness, and you look at everything you fear, That is Mary Magdalene. At dawn that day, Mary and Peter and the beloved disciple stood outside that tomb. And they were about to embark on a journey they never could have imagined. After all that had happened, the arrest in the garden, the trial before the authorities, the crowds yelling, 
for crucifixion, the mocking, the hitting, the nailing, the cross, the humiliation, the betrayal, the abandonment, the grief was finally over, except for the tears. He was gone forever, and with him, everything they dreamed of, of a better world. It was time to get back to reality. There was no kingdom of God. There was only the world as it is, and it's a meaningless story that goes nowhere. How devastated Mary Magdalene must have been. Those days were the worst days of her life. She had bet her life upon everything that he stood for, and everything was gone. And that story ended. There was nothing left to do but pick up the pieces of her life, pay her respect for the dead, and move on. In the words of Barbara Brown Taylor, she was like an abandoned pup who had lost her master but who stayed rooted to the last place he had been without the least idea of what to do next. I mean, have you ever heard that expression, just when you think things can't get any worse? They do. That must have been what Mary was feeling that day in the darkness. Now, even his body is gone. Gone was any hope that God's truth would conquer evil, that love would overcome hatred, that goodness would overcome greed. Nothing on the horizon to look for now. Betrayed by those he trusted, scorned by those he pitied, abandoned by those he loved, Jesus carried his cross to a grave, and not one single disciple believed that he would live again. Mary goes out to that tomb simply to prepare the body for burial. You know, it's interesting, it's John's gospel is the only one that begins this story on that day, that first Easter, in the dark. It's in the dark of night. The light that would come that day was not from the dawn of the day, but from the dawn of eternity. John writes in the very first chapter of that gospel, what has come into being in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So here at the end of the gospel, he's writing about that light that was not overcome by darkness. And he's writing about the fact that resurrection's about a new dawning, a new perspective that comes through the eyes of faith. Twice in the story, Mary is asked, why are you crying? First by the angel, and then by Jesus. A few years ago, Sam Wells was reflecting upon this aspect of the story, and he writes, 
The angels are pretty observant, mind you. They can see the state that Mary's in, and they say to her, why are you crying? You can tell these angels have never done a course in pastoral care and counseling. Because the first thing you learn in pastoral care and counseling is never ask why. Why is a useless question. It's threatening. It's unsupportive. It's paralyzing. It's a conversation-stopping question. It's the sort of question that husbands ask. (laughs) And it's almost certain to make the person cry all the more. Because if they could give a satisfactory answer, they probably wouldn't be crying. It's stupid. But Mary, to her credit, doesn't say, that's not a very helpful question. What kind of an angel are you? She says, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. So let's put ourselves in Mary's shoes for just a moment and allow ourselves to be asked that question, why are you crying? What darkness are you looking into this morning that has within it everything you fear? What grief weighs upon your soul today that has you weeping within? Is it the approach to the end of life yourself? Your own health? The health of someone you love? Maybe you're afraid of what you can't control, afraid of someone else's bad decision-making in their life. Why are you crying this morning? You know, in the story, Mary first experiences not seen twice. She doesn't recognize those in the tomb at at first, and she mistakes the Lord for the gardener later. But it's hard to see through tear-filled eyes. But when she hears her name called from somewhere behind her and the familiar voice of Jesus, she turns around and she finally sees him, but not as she expects to see him. In the resurrection of Jesus, the future actually breaks through into the present. The coming reign of God for that moment actually came. And the follower of Jesus sees through the eyes of faith that life is filled with meaning. History and life itself is headed towards a redemptive end on the other side of death. And however we understand it, however we try to articulate it, the resurrection of our Lord and that first Easter happened once, but the effect of that is far-reaching and forever. So Mary gets Jesus back, but not the same way she had him before. 
Instead, she has to let go of the Jesus that she thought she knew in order to embrace the living Christ, the resurrected Lord. Like people throughout history, we often look in the wrong direction for the source of life that lasts. Following the Lord is a never-ending process of losing Him the moment we think we have Him in our control, only to discover that He reappears in an even more unmanageable form later. That's the reason that Mary is told not to hold on to Him. We can't hold on to Him. We have to learn to trust that he's holding on to us. And just like the disciples in the first century, we have to believe that no matter how bad life gets, no matter how difficult, there's a life that never dies. That life is found in the one who is the light of the world and the source of life itself. Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Now, I've often said that forgiveness is giving up the hope of a better past. Maybe that's one of the reasons some of us might be weeping this morning. We're afraid our past is catching up with us. For Mary Magdalene, her tears of sorrow that morning turned to tears of joy when she heard her name called, and the Lord then commissioned her to do something, to go and say something. I've seen the Lord. Maybe, maybe that's where this passage actually does intersect with uh, stewardship today. You see, it's difficult to let go of all the stuff we're holding on to for dear life because we're just holding on. It's difficult to be generous when you live with a sense of scarcity and you really believe that you either don't have enough or won't have enough. But when it begins to dawn on us that you don't really need to hang on so tightly because we're being held on to by a resurrected Lord, then you begin to live with less fear and anxiety about life and less grasping on stuff. You learn to use stuff and trust That whatever the darkness, whatever the fear that you're approaching, you'll hear your own name called from somewhere behind you. And it'll be a familiar voice. And it'll be right from where the Lord's holding on to you. Thanks be to God. I've seen the Lord. Amen.